I came from MPA, people from Ivy League schools, people from all over the world, literally wanting to work with me for free to build cool stuff. And then I come to Mirror and everybody asks me for money for doing low-key work. I don't play with that, okay? I don't. I literally don't play with that. And in terms of different DAOs, I have to set the culture that way. Well, when I'm running a ship, it's a different type of time, for sure. That was Web3 Plug. And this, a somewhat unusual episode where he is full anon. Make sure you go to YouTube to see his incredible mask. Plug asked me not to dwell on personal information, quote, don't be disclosing all my real-time location and the streets I've been in like you've been doing. But after going deep for almost three hours, he finally disclosed several affiliations along the way. Plug is a chief decentralization officer at Banyan Collective and one of the co-founders at Minority Programmers. Plug is authentic, hilarious, and full savage. He is one of the most active technical contributors on the Nier ecosystem right now, which makes his podcast a wild exploration of a wide range of topics, including experimentation and product development, or as Plug refers to it, psyops and jokes that turn serious, NDC and the fight for the right culture in Nier, thoughts on developing and growing local developer communities, the history and evolution of DevHub, public goods, quadratic funding, and more. Without further ado, I'll let you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Sir Plug. Enjoy! Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of the Wild User Interviews podcast with me, AVB. Today is a very special episode because I've got with me Plug. I'll let them introduce themselves because we are pseudonymous tonight. Hi everybody, I'm Plug. I'm affiliated with a lot of things on Mir. I'm also known as the Web C Plug. It's my formal elongated first name concatenated with my surname. Yeah, and I'm really excited to be on here. I've been a big fan of Wild User Interviews for a long time. Actually coming into the Nier ecosystem, this is how I did a lot of my crash courses for learning new information. So I'm really appreciative of all the work you've been doing, AB. And yeah, it's been a long time coming. So really excited to be on. Thank you, fine, sir. I am also very excited to have you because you're definitely one of those people that entered my radar a long time ago as someone I, I happened to come across at an event. And you've been consistently impressing me and exceeding expectations. Day after day, you keep showing up, humble, building, trying to educate and support others. And you really are doing the work of, I feel, a lot of people, and especially a lot of, how do we call them, entities that are meant to be growing this developer ecosystem. I know that it can be hard sometimes to get developers <laughs> on board because they tend to be too busy building, but I'm very excited to have you because there's just so much that I would like to unpack. Where should we start? Maybe like building communities or is there anything on the top of your mind? Yeah, I mean, there is a lot in terms of the developer ecosystem. You want to talk about Nier? Do you want to talk about Web3 in general? Do you want to talk about just developer communities overall? Or my started to there? Just to give some background, my introduction in terms of founding developer communities and the idea of building a decentralized developer community actually came from more of a Web2 background, founding minority programmers association. You might see that a lot in like the near ecosystem. Um, currently the president of that been doing that for a while. And that's actually how I got involved in the near ecosystem. 
And while wow, you're out here switching up whole disguises, you don't KYC the mid mid sentence. I just had to change gear. That thing I had over my face, I couldn't breathe. I think my brain was suffocating. I couldn't get the words out properly. So hopefully it will be better from now on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's hard identifying as nothing and being an anon. But yeah, it really came from minority programmers association starting that. Originally, I looked as tech and not only just Web3, but software engineering in general as a way to a path towards upward mobility for especially marginalized communities in developing regions. And minority programmers was a way for us to build that community first locally, but then globally in order to upskill people around the world and then essentially provide them with opportunities to, to get more higher paid jobs. It started from there. It started more altruistic than to make revenue as a way to like really just help educate people and pay it forward. And then being a degenerate, like I've been in crypto for a little bit and I look at crypto as a way and Web3 as a way to essentially pay people around the world. And we started using this as our currency system and then transitioned to naturally from like a software engineering perspective, especially Kree Run and Bull Run as a way to build a lot of this decentralized tech and then empower people in communities that would normally not have access to jobs especially where I'm from and like the federal government or the big banks or people who need to be like U.S. employees, just give them opportunities to like this global workforce and this gig economy that Web3 is developing. So it came from like us being like a Web2 kind of organization to just the degenerates coming out of us and really converting everyone into Web3. And it was, to be honest, it was a very natural process. Like there was no shilling. There was no like, hey, I need you to, this is what blockchain is. It's a it was more like, make your email, make a MetaMask. What's Meta? Don't ask questions. Just make a MetaMask. It's an account. And, and then m make something on this app. Yeah. So it was, it was very ingrained into the onboarding process. And it was fairly easy for us to really onboard kind of developer communities into the Web3 stack. And yeah, that's just a, a little bit kind of background in terms of like kind of minority programming with community and like how we transition into to Web3. Thanks so much for sharing. I know that there's been instances in the past of people taking screenshots of your messages. And I think it just goes to show the authenticity of someone who is genuine. You've got personality. You're not afraid of expressing yourself and be very straight to the point. And I personally find that inspiring. I was speaking with someone recently on Near, a founder, and he was saying that when he looks at Web3 ecosystems, it could be developer ecosystems in general, they want to be surrounded by people that are smarter than them. They want to be in a room where they can have high-level conversations, learn, collaborate. And he was saying that is lacking a little bit on Near right now, or it may be. I'm not going to make a value judgment on that. But I feel like what you've been doing with minority programmers is certainly a fantastic example on how to start a grassroots movement. Which year was minority programmers started? 2019. And you started with a web two stack. What sort of languages were you covering? Like learn stack, mostly like React.js, MongoDB, Express, Node. That was like commonly used in web applications and especially we found a gap coming from computer science programs where they teach things like C and Java. There's actually a pretty big disconnect 
on what they teach in terms of application development and then what they teach in the computer science program. Initially, we actually started a lot in universities as a way to teach each other and supplement that knowledge gap. And then honestly, what happened was I bring one of my blockchain homies on here, also one of the co-founders of Minority Programmers. I'm polar opposites from my co-founders and you won't see them a lot too much, but they're, they do a lot of blockchain work for the federal government. And so he came on and he gave a little intro. Yeah, he be, I got to get my homies out the fed, but yeah, they're doing some amazing work there. But yeah, like he came on, he basically like red pilled us into blockchain, which we're already using. We're already hip to it for a bunch of different various reasons. I don't want to get into how we got into crypto, but yeah, like in terms of the engineering aspect of it, he really red pilled us into that. This is a real industry and then went in the deep end. And originally like, all right, speaking a little bit on that, originally just my personal experience on crypto and blockchain, I was very used to looking at altcoins, using it as tech, using it as currency. When you got to keep in mind that like the context, especially like 2016, 2017, when P2P transactions were really happening, there were things like Venmo, and then there's things like Bitcoin and Ethereum happening naturally. Like you, like I was like more looking to come from like the law perspective of things. And I really looked as P2P transactions like Venmo and banks and wire transfers as a really hot way or a really suspicious way to transact money where people could track you. So naturally I gravitate towards cryptocurrency and naturally I'm like with the way I roll with me and my homies, it's, you got to just use the text that use what I'm using or I won't communicate with you. If you don't use signal, or if you don't use these certain apps, then I just won't talk to you. If you don't use this certain type of money, I won't transact with you. So naturally it was pretty easy to get these types of new peer-to-peer -peer money systems adopted within my friend group and basically use it to get anything I want. And as opposed to this new P2P buddy like Venmo that was coming out where it's like highly traceable. But what had happened was, is that normally when you would get altcoins outside of Coin and Ethereum, it was on these centralized exchanges. So I had all these like altcoins and whatnot, and literally all this ICO, hot boy stuff that happened, got a lot of my coins delisted. So when DeFi Summer came back around and I could really see that, oh, now with smart contracts, you could program the business logic of centralized exchanges and they literally cannot rug my altcoins. Like that reinvigorated my DJ for just using it as a, like a currency and like interested in technology to like actually doing a deep dive and how to build on it. And so that's when my homie came back and he broke it down what was going on. And then additionally, I got another homie. We call him our head of DGEN. He's also the exact opposite of us. He's been our head of DGEN since 2020. And he only appears like once every one year to drop us some degenerate information. Then he's up, then he's down bad, like doing DoorDash, like back to square one. And we don't, we don't see him for a long time. And he really put us on the, yo, you got to get on Uniswap. It was like the combination of, all right, we have the more kind of government side of things, putting us on in the industry and the like super degenerate side, putting us on to look really what's going on in DeFi to, okay, this is more than just money. This is literally a sector of the software engineering industry. And 
I'm studying software engineering. So it's like a perfect mesh of everything that I like. And it's like, all right, it's time to go full on in, deeply invest, not in money, but in this as a sector in the field. So went down the rabbit hole from there. That's awesome. I'm really curious. For people that are just listening, you are full anon. It is pitch black where you are, but also there's mask, etc. And you've started showing that I would call it an aggressive pursuit of privacy, almost like pushing or forcing your friends groups to adopt these technologies or you cut them off. I'm wondering whether you could expand on where does that distrust come from? Or what are the seeds in society that have pushed you to be such a strong advocate, an early adopter of these technologies? In life, been in a lot of situations and you see how people can use information against you and really not only put you and your family in situations where you can lose your freedom, you can lose your life, you can be in danger. All that type of stuff has happened. But outside of that, I don't want to interact with sloppy people. And when it comes down to it, like in life, especially in your close friend group, it's like you only have five people you really interact with. And you maybe only have 150 people that are really people that you know and in your circle over time. There's not that really that many people that like you actually interact with on a deep level. And to have those people not get with a certain program, especially when we're technologists and we're known for adapting new like new innovations and new tools very easily. To me, it's if you're reluctant to adopt these certain set of frameworks, even when I'm so adamant about it, then it shows a reluctance to adapt that I don't want to be with. And it's a underlying indicator of a lot of other things. To me, it's not too hard. And yeah, I've never seen the barrier in that. And I've never had an issue with that at all. So there's an underlying belief strong belief that this technology is the future. So being an early adopter is desirable and it's just a normal progression of technology. Would that be an accurate way to put it? Yeah, it's addition to that too. But if I'm all like, hey, I'm going to call you on a rotary phone and that's how I'm going to do it because rotary phones are in and you're like, nah, I don't believe that it will like, okay, then you won't be getting that call. And so it's, it's that kind of simple. Even it, there, there is no convincing you technology-wise, but then you might look into it like, why am I using a rotary phone? What is the technology I'm using? And then do a deeper dive. But to me, it's like, at the end of the day, like, why do you use the near governance forum to ask for money for the marketing DAO? It's not an advanced or new technology. That's where the plug is telling you the money's at. And so that's, it comes yeah. to the same. When plug is telling you, this is how we're doing it, that's how you, that's how yeah. you link up connect. Yeah. So it, it's very similar to I, that. I guess because there's just something fascinating to me. Look, I was originally skeptical of minority programmers and I'm in general skeptical of a lot of things with similar branding because minority myself, I came to Australia when I was 18 and I do not like people that are in minority groups but use that almost as a shield and a sword. It becomes a PD party. I like people that 
use that as a fuel to overcome difficulties and really prove to everyone that being part of a minority has challenges, but doesn't make you any less than. You can be equal or better than. So I really like that minority programmers has been going hard on the technology. It's not just the education side of it, which some people may claim to do, or perhaps more people can do, but you guys are consistently shipping. So I'm just fascinated by how that culture of learning and becoming the best version of yourself comes to be, especially when you may face some friction from people that may not be as willing to learn new skills and be humble and do things that are hard. And yeah, at the same time, you're like pushing people to do something. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, in terms of you see a lot of these diversity or I'm honestly not the most like politically correct. You might be able to tell that. And to be honest, originally. All right. So I'm a schemer. I like to. Neither scheme. am I, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like We're not. We're. we're in political, I'm, that's why I'm masked up because I might some, say something wild out here on these interviews. You don't know. We don't, I don't got no notes. But just to go off like minority programmers and there, there's the whole kind of concept of like diversity organizations and caring about your identity. But how I look at it is if you want to know how originally minority programmers started, it's actually hilarious. Everything I do starts as a joke. I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. Like I'm not even going to whitewash it or anything like that. We were scheming in the computer lab and we're like, I feel like white people, they're going to get questioned pretty hard pretty soon. And what's the best way we can get money from them? And then we came up with all these names and yada, Rainbow Alliance, all this. Yeah. And then we ended up coming up with minority programmers, shipped the website all that. But then, oh my God, it turned so serious. The thing about once you put up, once you put up like a flag of like minorities and diversity, and then also technology, people will come to you to learn from everywhere and anywhere. And you can't just be like, nah, it, we're, we were just capping. You actually have to teach them. You actually have to build community. And it transitioned to just like, us being degenerates wanting to put up a diversity flag to actually like, oh, people from all around the world want to learn. This is a perfect banner for facilitating this and let's actually put in the work. And that's how it, it started. And then when you look at technology, like people want to learn that, like that is the hottest skill from everywhere and anywhere. And to especially learn it for free and not have any, any barriers to this for people who genuinely want to help. I don't think it's difficult to convince them. To us, it's more of like, how exactly do we deliver this information? What we found best is a project-based approach to learning, given the hottest like skills in the stacks in the industry. And that's normally how we do it. We put people, we bring people in the fold, we put them on teams, we put them on projects, and we learn by doing. And that's been the most effective way, whether it's for blockchain, whether it's for tra traditional React apps, whether it's for UI UX, whether it's for biz dev. And yeah, that's, that necessarily hasn't been a challenge, but yeah, that's the joke behind it. And all my co-founders are like, wow, there it goes again. One of your psyops turns serious. Massive respect. See, this is why, what I respect the most is two things. First, the ability to identify the world around you as it is. It may be much more extreme 
in the U.S. or in that Western context, but you have to be honest. It is true that if you put certain labels or certain flags and things, they become appealing or attractive at a surface level. Acknowledging that makes you smart and you're trying to position yourself makes you smart. It is what you do next that truly shows your character. You guys could have just taken the money, but you said, hey, if we're actually getting a platform and we're getting interest, let's execute on it. And that's where I'm like, okay, you've proved me wrong. This isn't just grifting. This is a hilarious accident that can yield good results. It's a form of like market validation. I don't know if you ever think of these jokes as like minimum viable products or hypothesis. And I want to be fully patient. Like no one gave us a bag. Like no one originally, that was our idea. This is a good way in the future to like, but we were just, we were just like, we were just scheming. Like we didn't, no one was like, Hey, here's money to do this. And this is what it's like. It was like, literally like for the longest time, we had no plan to make profit, nor did I want to, because I felt bad about taking a learning environment where people from literally all around the world want to improve their lives. I felt like it's, I just felt bad about it. So I, I didn't necessarily have, it was till later where it's okay. Like we should start doing contracts. We should start building applications for clients and things like that. Then it really came to, okay, then we started making bread and then we started getting in the blockchain industry. And now I'm in a position where I spend a lot of my time on Nier. And that's essentially what I'm doing full-time right now. And it's honestly hard to do a lot of um, the more charitable work that we're doing. And then also we got other organizations to supplement a lot of these education programs. But yeah, it was never like, hey, like, Someone gave us a bat. If, if people really know my story on, on near on coming up on, it's a lot of like me being down bad, me not getting paid, me just educating a lot of people, a lot of people volunteering their time. There was no like, okay, hit a lick, grift out or anything like that. That is that. Yeah. That's just not how we, we came up or anything like that. So. I don't know the details, but if I had to point out to people in the near ecosystem that are consistently creating more value than they extract, it would be you. And even people that have probably left money on the table because of not asking for, I would say, fair remuneration. It is particularly confronting or there's a very stark distinction with people that are on the complete opposite end. They extract a lot of money. They become very good at navigating the system. And you really do have to think hard to pin down what it is that they do. I think, to be honest, the near ecosystem is not blind and it's not stupid. There's been a lot of conversation surfacing recently. And the consensus publicly now seems to be we need more builders. We need more developers. We need to reclaim that builder identity and just focus on products. At the end of the day, if we're going to grow as an ecosystem, we need products that people use. Are there any lessons that you've learned over time from developer communities in general that you think could be relevant for more people in the new ecosystem? And then maybe we can start going more granular around lessons for building local communities of authentic, engaged developers, pathways for improvement, et cetera. Yeah. So just for all full transparency, I also am very core to the Banyan Collective team, which is commonly known as not near US for legal purposes. Shout out to Gary Gensler. And one of our main mandates are 
building developer communities and working with founders and developers. And my title originally started as a chief of staff there and it switched to supporting DevHub. And, and now my title is head of decentralization. So I work with DAOs, founders, and devs on that part. I don't be, I don't really necessarily disclose that, but when you get, you're getting it dropped now. Yeah, I work with a lot of developer communities as part of initiatives at Banyan Collective, things like Near Hacks. Near Hacks actually started as a grant for minority programmers to start uh, a hacker house hackathon series and spin out into Banyan Collective, things like Near Builders and running different builder groups like Wallet, NFTs, and DAOs, supporting projects, putting out Near Enhancement proposals, things of that nature. And when it comes to the push, we actually had a near brand. I don't, you should have been on it, to be honest. We had a near brand H2 meeting recently with kind of different stakeholders in the ecosystem. And one of the most surprising, but well needed reassessment of OKRs were the pushing back of web 2.5 and bringing these businesses on boards to, we need to bring developers on board. And that redefine of OKR is pretty pivotal to me. I think we need to bring more developers on board. I think we need to have marketing initiatives push the things that developers are building and that make near competitive. I think there has been a lot of missed opportunities when it comes to AI, when it comes to account abstraction, when it comes to onboarding in general, that we could have really been competitive, that other blockchains and L2s and whatnot are now utilizing and are having more voice of share. So I, I, there is the marketing side of things, but there's also building this kind of builder economy and how exactly do we put developers in the position where they're not only incentivized to build innovative stuff, but they're put in positions where they can be put into full-time work where they can continue to build this out. And, or at least there is a culture where they can build or an ecosystem vibrant enough where they can build something and they can generate revenue on their own. And something I learned a lot from, so just some history lesson, there was like, there's DevHub right now. And actually Near Foundation put us, Banyan, as one of the initial external stakeholders for supporting DevHub at that time, Near DevGov. And there was a complete scope creep or change in what they focus on in the time since it started. And it's in incredibly tremendous to see how they've handled uh, this change of scope and how they've grown their team. But originally, it was a way to facilitate outside engineers outside of Pagoda, that is formerly known as Near Inc., to support protocol improvement commonly known or in the form of near enhancement proposals or NAPs. And that was one of our main things that we're looking for. And there are two levels of groups that came from this. There's like the community groups, which are builder groups, as we like to call it at Banyan, where people come together, they ideate ideas, all the founders and the builders. And then there's the work groups, which approve the NAPs or approve, or are there elected subject matter experts that approve NEPs or any funding proposals if it pertains to that vertical. What we found, especially like in the wallet, the NFT, and the DAO building groups, because we were trying to essentially push out NEPs initially and put really encourage people to do 
do protocol enhancements, we found that it was very difficult to get people involved in the creation of NAPS unless they were already a, an experienced engineer on a f- already funded team. And there was, to be honest, in their ecosystem, not that many people who had full-time engineers. And outside of that, we needed a lot of these NEPs to be tested in the wild. And what I just found from that is that a lot of the innovation in the ecosystem is dependent on having engineers in capitalized teams, or at least who have a business on near that uses these implementations in the wild. And so to, to me, outside of just like hackers and people just tinkering around at hackathons, I think there needs to be a concerted effort to scaling these products, getting them funding, and then placing highly skilled engineers to serve as that mentor, that senior level base to then bring up the whole community and really push this innovation. And then a concerted effort from different marketing funnels to highlight this and really promote the unique use cases that are only possible on near to the rest of the public to then create this flywheel for more developers in the ecosystem to come. That way, like that one founder that you were speaking of, who I know exactly who it is, by the way, because (laughs) he just said this yesterday. And yeah, we want to, this is, to me, that's one of the things I like about the near ecosystem. I'm literally on a group chat on Telegram and then Ilya's responding and mob.near is responding. This is a culture where all the senior level engineers do want to support you. They're excited of what you build and what you come on. And, and like, they're excited to help and upskill and you can't get that in any other ecosystem. Like I can't go to South Solana and get Anatoly to respond at Telegram every day or get uh, Vitalis to do the same. So the people are there. There needs to be more people coming from a bunch of different stakeholders. You better say something. You had a, you had a, like, you were like building up the fight or something. What's what yeah, was but about? I farted. <laughs> I agree with you. The ecosystem is extremely approachable. You can literally catch Ilya and Alex Shevchenko at any conference, like on the street. You can catch them on any Telegram group. That is a feature and a bug to me right now because it just signals that the ecosystem hasn't grown enough. Like I wonder, was Solana equally approachable back in the day? Because I've been told from those hackathons in 2021, nothing went on mainnet unless the core team was hands-on patching things with duct tape. So yes, we need to take advantage of the near ecosystem being approachable now. But I do wonder, is it always going to be that approachable? And is it a bad thing if we grow so big that there's just more layers of separation between the people at the very top or more advanced in their journey and the newer people and the appropriate support groups for them? You mentioned Solana and then my network just got slow. I don't know if there's a correlation I think you're having problems with your internet. Can uh, you hear me? Breaking up. Damn, that's a sign for sure. Yeah. Let's ignore that bit. I was wondering, can you also expand on the scope creep and what the DevHub does now? How it's expanded beyond the any piece? The DevHub, shout out to them. Like, they're doing a lot. And so, yeah, you should definitely have maybe Ori or Max or Vlad from the DevHub team. That'd be very insightful. But... Yeah, the scope creep has been... I saw Maria from DevHub present on Mainbase Open Day. 
and I was going to message her, but she was out of office. I don't know if she would also be a good person to have from DevHub, but yeah, to any of the people that you've mentioned, they're more than welcome on the podcast anytime. Yeah, but who can speak on the actual evolution is essentially DevGov, Mirror Developer Governance, also formerly known as Near Developer DAO, but there's already a developer DAO, so we can't be calling it that. But it started as a special operations team spinning out of Pagoda. Max, he was VP of engineering at Pagoda and first employee at Near. And it was dedicated toward essentially, like I was mentioning earlier, getting external engineers to contribute to the protocol. However, in this time, there has been a lot of scope creep from what Pagoda handles to what now known as DevHub handles. And so some things that fall under the purview of DevHub now includes, like you were mentioning, Maria. She is the hackathon's lead. So you'll see if you go to neardevhub.org, a lot of people around the world requesting hackathon funding through DevHub. They also, what has happened with Pagoda is their developer relations team is no more. And they have been either let go or shifted into maybe developer experience roles or product roles within Pagoda, focusing on things like Boss, while DevHub has taken over those DevRel responsibilities. And also under this preview is educational materials like the docs and yeah, ed educational resources also falls under the view of DevHub. And then also to that, but just a slippery slope is funding projects that are open source. And this you can see through projects like the ZK Electron Bridge being funded through DevHub. The thing I like about DevHub is everything from any contributor of how much they get paid for what and their deliverables to the people actually building DevHub, the platform where this activity like shows is all transparent and posted directly on DevHub. They essentially are responsible for decentralizing Near's developer community and being the touch points for devs coming in the Near ecosystem, which is very different than NEPs. And so they've grown their team a lot. They have DevRel people. Boris from Aurora is now doing DevRel for DevHub. They have a lot of people coming on board. They have a lot of contributors building the DevHub platform. You can see every issue request. If you go to near slash DevHub widgets on GitHub, it's very transparent and easy to keep track of. But yeah, like that's like, you can see it for yourself and you can get involved in yourself by making a post on DevHub and actually making a proposal to, uh, to fill in a lot of these roles. They are looking for additional help because it is a big seat. I am in the market. Just to clarify, so from your personal experience and both philosophical and what you've seen happening in reality, do you think that expansion in scope has been a net positive or a net negative? You, so I'm very cognizant that this started as three people and we were having a hard time getting people to push NEPs 
And now it's more work and it is a bigger team. And we have to be understanding that when it's more work and it's a bigger team, there is an adjustment period. I think they have superstars in the ecosystem like Vlad, like Max, like Ori that put in a lot of work, a lot of work of many people. And I am, I think that the way the transition happened was definitely a surprise to a lot of us, but we're in the crypto streets and we get a lot of surprises and there's a lot of scope creep and we adjust to that. And so I wouldn't count them out. I have a lot of faith that I keep track of a lot of what they're doing. I support developer community still. We work with them. So I just wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, a lot of people like to put people who are given a lot of roles in the ecosystem to a lot of scrutiny. And I do that to them internally. And I have. And, but when it comes to forward facing, I am like, and, and just in general, I'm very, I'm very amazed at all that they're handling. And I encourage people to support the initiative because it's all transparent. And to me, this is one of the most pivotal things in the ecosystem is building that developer community. And it's a tough issue to tackle. I don't look at it as like a net positive or net. I'm looking at it as like, how exactly do we tackle this issue and how can we support? But I think it is a better, more transparent process that I can now keep track of, which just working in the past with DevRel on the Pagoda side is it wasn't as transparent or as easy to keep up with. And at the same time, I didn't mention that this came with a scope. There's a 40 open source repos that Pagoda used to maintain that now DevHub has to maintain. And so Vlad's doing an excellent job at recruiting Rust engineers to actually do maintain a lot of the infrastructure there too. Like that in itself is huge. When I heard that, oh, I was like, what? From where are we recruiting from? That's why I want you to have Vlad from, not the near ecosystem. Vlad's a human guild Vlad or... No, no, Vlad's froled on here. He's, uh, oh, he's, he's amazing. He's, I met him in he's, Portugal. He's, I was just going to message him because there's a couple of Rust meetups here in Australia and New Zealand. And I was thinking of getting him or him referring someone to basically do like a virtual presentation to this Rust audience. It's up to them what the topic may be, but I thought that could be like a nice way to reach these technical groups. What you're saying is very encouraging. And uh, I don't know if you were around at the time or if you remember, but when I started getting more and more attention, I would just go to the uh, governance forum and dump ideas. I saw DeFi summer. I saw the cost of doing transactions on Ethereum. I saw how fast Binance was growing. I went to the developer governance forum and I proposed the Dragon Bridge. The Dragon Bridge was going to be a direct bridge between Binance and the Earth. And it got interesting engagement from the uh, and other developers. So I think that I'm going to start doing the same with the developer hub. I've got many ideas. I just mentioned one around having core protocol engineers presenting to these Rust audiences. And as you say, I'd like to see more of these discussions happening openly where more people have the opportunity to catch up and to participate and for 
it to be clear to everyone what value people are creating. I think reputation is super big. This kind of ties loosely, slight segue to what you mentioned before around me not getting invited to the brand meeting at Near Foundation. Look, I'm slightly coming to terms with the fact that there uh, is a separation. I don't think you did. I'll never take it like that because I didn't even know what that meeting was. Like, I'm not a marketer, so I don't want to take yeah. it like that. I didn't get invited. So you can get invited. That was like the first time that happened. I didn't really, yeah, don't. Okay, Look, just because you I weren't asked, invited, you asked? I'm totally speculating here. I'm most likely wrong, but there's always a separation between uh, the media and the state. And it's really interesting that as the podcast becomes more popular, as the range of guests expands, as there's just more information being shared. And more people getting exposed. Nah, kidding. Some people like to keep things behind closed doors, which is hilarious because literally everything reaches me anyway. Like I knew about the dev KPIs and about the RC DAO getting killed and everything I know before it happens. But for some reason, I'm not getting invited to the actual conversations. I asked to join the influencer roundtable in March. I actually asked to join the actual physical meetup they had in Denver. I paid to be in Denver out of my own pocket and I flew from Argentina. It was not cheap. And I got excluded, like outright excluded. Legend Cameron Dennis invited me to the Near Foundation cruise after NearCon in Portugal. And I don't think I've ever felt so uncomfortable. It was literally all Pagoda and Foundation. Like some proximity people were not even there. Cameron was nice enough to invite me, but yeah, I was getting some looks, people wondering, what is this guy doing here? So yeah, I'm both saddened, but not impressed. But going back to the dev hub, I think that as much as I can, I want to contribute in that rebranding or repositioning, because I remember when you started hosting all these working groups and I started joining a lot of these meetings. It was very obvious to me, and we actually discussed at the time, it is very hard to host these working groups and get engineers to show up. My joke was that the working groups get engineers, not just business developers joining. And I was a business developer at the time joining. Um, we played with consolidating some groups, changing the frequency on how often the engineers met. I even proposed, another time I was at Metapool, just to talk to some projects and be like, hey, make it a requirement or make it a task, a paid task for your engineers to actually show up because some people have a hard time justifying it as part of their duties. So yeah, it's reassuring to see that all that feedback has evolved naturally. And as you laid it out, we just don't have that many full-time engineers. So the focus or, or the next action items, the logical next action items need to be, how do we get more engineers in? I'll tell you what my perception is and you can agree, disagree, or ignore and move on. I feel like the DevHub is or has evolved to be what the NDC should have always been. You've got people that are highly experienced, highly technical, that get in first and then expand slowly over time. And yeah, everything from being on chain to being very tightly aligned with those strategic goals of growing developers. I don't know. I feel like there's a very big gap between the engineering and I guess the code, you can't bullshit your way. It's either there or it's not. And your contributions are there or they're not. And the social side of things. 
because some people are so fucking good at bullshitting. And I'm aware that I've been talking for several minutes nonstop. What is your perception around, yeah, that tension of we basically having two parallel systems of governance? Yeah, I couldn't tell if that was a pause or a network freeze, but yeah. I, 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 I was going to keep adding qualifiers, but I thought I'd leave it neutral and let you expand on it. Yeah, so if you mean in the context of the dev hub and NDC and those kind of paradigms living in, par- in parallel, was that what you meant? The dev hub is in theory a grassroots DAO in parallel with marketing DAO and creative DAO. But the dev hub never came under the umbrella of the NDC. It gets funding from Pagoda. It's got a shit ton of money. And I don't you don't see... I think it's, I think it's enough. I don't know exactly where the money comes from, but they're not treated as children like marketing DAO and creative DAO do. Like these people are on safety mode with little children wheels. They need to beg for $50,000 a month to give out grants. There's literally no KPIs. Like, DevHub is doing something more meaningful, more tangible. And I feel like the rest is just shit fuckery and experiments that are probably not going to last very long. Have we over time no. evolved into having two systems of governance, whatever the DevHub is doing on chain with top contributors, et cetera, and whatever the NDC is doing? Yeah. Like you outlined originally in the model of NDC, DevHub was supposed to get its funding from NDC. However, it was quickly realized and because of a lot of this scope creep that like this is a huge problem to tackle and there cannot be contingencies on whether V1 going live. And so I, there's a lot of kind of sentiment in terms of the culture of both entities. NDC is often called an experiment. I don't like that because that just means you're okay with the outcome not succeeding. And I don't play experiments with millions of dollars. However, like that, it's not an experience. And I'm just to be fully transparent, like I've outlined my support for DevHub in the past. I'm working with Marketing Down and Creatives Down on a few initiatives. And I am currently the main point person for bounties for the NDC technical work group. So I have, I work with all the DAOs in near the decentralization vibes. You got to understand when like looking at these different entities, I look at DAOs as just, I would look at evaluating a startup for whether I'd invested it. And a lot of this contingent on the team and how proven they are to run something in that particular vertical. Max is a proven person in their ecosystem. Vlad's a proven person or he's a proven person. At this time, when you look in retrospective to Blaze is also a proven person. He's done wonderful work with the Open Shards Alliance. He's a founder on Nier and, and had to really fight and advocate for the NDC to happen. Originally, the check size for what was announced in NearCon was way bigger than what is today, there was a time where the NDC was not even going to come live. And there was a lot of politics that had to come back and forth. And there was, and even to this day, there is a process where there is a lot of recruiting and a lot of skilled people that were brought on to the GWG 
which is the governance work group, which is standing up a lot of these processes are like still happening today. So I think when you, the, 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 how I feel about NDC is having all these different edit, entities coming up to the purview of NDC is not decentralization, it's consolidation. Rather, I think it's more strategic for the Near Foundation to help spin out these different verticals or these different specialized groups and introduce paths to revenue or at least enough capital with these skilled people to function and support the ecosystem independently. And that's one thing that I am not too sure like about the NDC model about everyone should get funding under NDC and we should take these functions up and and we only have who we're working with right now and we should fund only the incumbents. I'm not necessarily about this model at all, but I kind of digress from the original point, but it's the like dev the developer community, like we have proven people. NDC, this was being formed. The sentiment is these proven people versus an experiment and the timelines were different. And literally like we are a technology, we are, we're a protocol and we need to have engineers maintaining this protocol, especially 40 of the biggest open source repos on there. And so I think it is a bad idea to lump that within DevHub. I think, however, NDC should still be focused on programs that help spin out product and support these developers and build this builder economy. Uh, but I also think DevHub is a very important function and I highly encourage anyone to participate and make a post on DevHub and get involved if they don't like it. It is very well said, sir. Look, I think that you're spot on many things. The first one is the startup mentality. And this is actually where we're seeing a big clash now between the builders and the bureaucracy. Because the builders put the work in first. They have to de-risk the venture before somebody else comes in and puts money. It is up to them to prove the idea. It is up to them to validate it, to build something, to get some users. Like, it's on you. Like, you have to earn that support. No one owes you shit. Like, it's ruthless. And that's why engineers and builders tend to be so humble. Because it's such a savage ride that you support each other. The chances of anyone succeeding are low. But any success is huge for the protocol and the ecosystem. On the bureaucracy, I agree with you. Like, where did this UBI bullshit came from? Where did this sense of entitlement came from? Why did we hand over money with seemingly no strings attached? On the consolidation side, we've got many entities that have been underperforming or may not even have a reason for existing entangled with each other in a way where, you know, marketing DAO and creatives DAO have been immune to anything and everything this year because they became a KPI for the NDC. That is unacceptable. And why aren't there any other DAOs coming alive? Because if there's no process to get this DAO's life. So now we're holding back a build DAO, a, a whatever, a refi DAO, a gaming DAO. All these people are now being held hostage on the NDC succeeding. I don't, I mean, in terms of I'm involved in the two DAOs you just mentioned in that list as, as well, and bringing those um, 
very involved in build out and a lot of the builder programs that we're that that we're piloting or we're doing this under the banner and in the banyan we're like we're just heavily supporting this i don't and we have some exciting programs pretty soon that we're piloting as well but and then for the refi doubt there isn't necessarily a block we do have meetings with lawyers pretty soon and we are actually building a product around public goods funding that we're also going to announce pretty soon because we believe products are a good way to facilitate users as opposed to subsidizing users already in the ecosystem to use certain products. So that's a lot of the approach that we're taking. And we've been very cognizant of when building a product, especially a public goods funding platform, we have to be very careful about how we have a legal entity but we've do, been doing a lot around the world, doing a lot of events in the refi space to promote and attract already people in the ecosystem there. So I wouldn't say that we're necessarily being blocked. We've also been very calculated with what we consider a contributor to be, what we value as contributions, and how to develop a decentralized framework for what counts as opposed to NDC subsidizing contributions for people who are bounty hunters. So we've been having to deal with that issue and find genuine people who are experienced in that regards in order to be. Can you expand on the criteria that you have now and maybe perhaps how that criteria has evolved over time through different experiences? At the time, there was stuff going on where there was retroactive bounties for the NDC and people would do stuff for us that we thought they just like refi. And it was really just them trying to get a bounty. And we're like, we didn't sign a contract. Like what? I didn't even know. And so we had a lot of those initial issues. And so essentially we have a system that we're still working out where we define certain actions across certain sectors and we give a relative weight there. And we just have clear kind of agreements, whether something is a contract work or something is a contribution that will catalog, which we don't necessarily outline right now compensation for it, but it's more of a matrix that we are actively doing. And we have weekly onboarding and, and weekly update calls happen every Friday there is as well. So I don't want to break it down line by line because that's People can difficult. join the meetings. We'll have the links on the description. So I'm going to take a really quick toilet break. When I come back, I would love if we could dive deeper into public goods and refi as a category. Because those are, as I said, I'm constantly amazed by all the products that you're shipping. And these are things that I would like to learn more myself. And I think that everyone listening would also find super interesting. And ideally, we can get some more contributors. How does that sound? Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I didn't even expect okay. to be, be doing that, but awesome. Wait. You did put it out in a list of things you want to talk about. I'll go to the toilet and I'll be back in a minute. The recording doesn't stop while it goes to the toilet. So I'm going to do an advertisement. Do you like Nier? Have you thought about being a blockchain developer? You want to learn Rust? Don't know Rust? JavaScript? Have you ever thought, hey, I want to build a component, but I don't want to build a whole app. Have you ever thought, hey, I want to build a component. But I really want to jack someone else's work and then hack a little bit. Then boss is a place for you. Go to near.org. 
and fork a component today. I want to fork you. I want to fork you so good. Got to hit him with the backup battery because we down bad down out here. I just did a, I just did a quick advertisement. Just chill. Bro, I was literally pissing myself <laughs> laughing because I'm wearing the wireless. Like, I heard everything. Wireless, you had to expose your technology. I don't got no technology. I'm like, I don't got no, I don't got no earphones under this mask. This ain't even a real mask. It's a t-shirt. Like I'm low budget. Like I'm on my phone right now. I'm about to pull up a backup battery. Bro, now we gotta get you a grant, bro. Nah, I'm I'm good. <laughs> Moment you get a grant in this ecosystem, all the NPCs start emerging and they start. What you I'm chill. I'm chill. I'd rather be all broke with a mask on and nobody asking me questions than getting the grant and have people diligence in me like crazy. Look, to be fair, I did apply for my very first retroactive bounty for the GWG after I started talking shit about them. So they rejected it. Fair. But I hold that as a badge of honor. I have received zero dollars from GWG. And yeah, I agree with you. I think that reputation matters more to me than probably the tens of thousands I would have been able to pilfer if I was acting the same as other people. But first principles, I, I like to play the long game and yeah. I, I respect you a lot for having that ability to forego short-term gain, but to have the peace and quiet just to dedicate to the work that you want to do and let the value speak for itself when the time comes. Yeah. Well, I also get paid off manual. That's, that's straight on my job. It, it took a while to actually form it. So I'm a full-time year member. So just full transparency there. Okay, fair enough. If you've got that consistency, dude, I am literally the epitome of the gig economy. Like for August, I don't have any income. I'm still creating the content that I got a grant for July because I didn't get all the content done in July because I spent too much time doing NDC bullshit. And I'm not part of a DAO where people get paid every month, even if they are on holiday and they don't show up for a single meeting. I don't have any money coming in August. And I'm still paying out of my own pocket to go to CoinFest in Bali and to go to Vietnam for near APAC. So yeah, kudos to you. You got a full-time contributor role. I think I talk too much shit. Maybe I should start wearing a mask more often and morph my voice. Because yeah, look, as I said, I know that there are people that don't want to be affiliated with me now. And that's fine. I'll keep doing the podcast. I just got to get some sponsors, I guess. I would just say, yeah, sponsorship's a key role. I love what Bankless is doing. I love what Green Pill, Blockworks, all of them are doing as well. What Lightspeed is doing. Shout out to, to, to everyone. Keep in the Web3 knowledge in my ears. But yeah, I mean, I think there is like calling out everybody and versus giving constructive criticism. Because at the end of the day, like we're all colleagues and it's important to realize that. And it's important to realize that we're all humans. And this comes from me. I'm not politically correct. Like we, I almost created a bot to take my words and make it more constructive, but I had other things to do. And so I, I've been given this same feedback. You can't just come out with just negative context, but rather appreciate what people are doing and give a more constructive approach of how they could be better. And I think that would go a long way. And that's something I'm personally trying to improve with the way I give feedback. Because a lot of your points are valid and a lot of people in the ecosystem share those sentiments, but you don't do a lot of convincing when people look at it as you're coming for their livelihood. Again, like I think it is a complete discredit 
when people don't want to work with you because you are a lot of people's entry points into the ecosystem and are one of the big major stewards. Yeah, like that's how I go about that. There's a reason why I literally stopped engaging on all NDC groups over a week ago. The feedback starts as a question, then it's a comment, then it's criticism, then I lose my shit. I would pay to have all the Zoom recordings where I've participated as far back as October, where I asked questions, where I gave the feedback, and where I was ignored. After we waste 1.5 million for something that somebody said and was ignored or dismissed or somebody actively argued against while belittlingly and humiliating you, that's when I lose my shit. Two hours before recording this podcast, I saw Ilya finally joins the chat near OGs. Somebody sent me the link, by the way. I'm not, I don't read the chat anymore. Ilya finally joins the chat. He gives his feedback. Amazing how in one message, he was able to outline all the feedback that all the OGs have been giving for months. Everyone, Maxwell, DevRel, Amos, like people that are really not much involved in governance and that communicated in a very eloquent, respectful way, dropped in, said it, got ignored, left. What do you have to do to stop the train wreck? And that's where sometimes you just got to keep raising the tone. And I get it. Look, there is a point where I know people write me off and that's why I walk away. But what I'm not going to shut up about is the feedback was ignored. The commentary was ignored. The critical thinking around making the decision that anyone that was not getting paid could have told you was going to fail. All of that was ignored. So who's ultimately responsible? I love the technical group at the GWG now. I love Jane. I respect her. She's doing great work. But there have been some errors made in the past. And these people are still in GWG getting $10,000 a month. This is not a standard that would have flied within the Near Foundation. This is not a standard that flies within Pagoda. And this is a proposal that would have been rejected at DevHub on a monthly basis. So this is where I'm like, look, okay, maybe I have a tendency to lose my shit we get to the point where it seems like someone is either maliciously or negligently pushing for a hidden agenda. But I've said what I have to say, and sometimes may not come across the right way, but I have the luxury and the privilege to have documented myself for over two years. Go to the governance forum, you could create Alejandro GPT with the 700 plus proposals that I assessed and the deep reasoning that I gave, including the evolving goals of the near ecosystem and dissuading some proposals that were not suitable. Go to the podcast. Sometimes I swear a little bit, sometimes I raise my tone, but the podcast is really about giving a platform to people. And look, these issues have always been there in the open. Choosing not to deal with them is a choice that some people will have to live with. I feel like I've said enough. The yeah, the fire has yeah, reached I don't a different w- area of the forest, but... Yeah, I don't want to get too into GWG internal politics and like pointing people out but a lot of people share your sentiment for sure on that on that regard and when it comes to Ilya coming in the chat I think a lot of things that we realize that are in the forefront of our minds and the forefront of our communities aren't realized by leadership unless we tell them about it and I think that when a lot of this happened because what Joe said, to be honest, like Joe, Joe, Joe went viral yesterday and the day before 
And these are conversations we've been having in general that's gotten a lot. And yeah, I think there is definitely pressure for to get V1 live within the current timeline. Funding caps, for sure. I think, yeah, like a lot of this happened after what Joe said, like at least started pulling up on a bunch of chats. Same thing happened with the Eco Roundtable. Max bring that up from DevHub. And yeah, I mean, coming, I think a lot of our perspective is like, all right, so what can we do now? Like, how can we best improve? I think that I don't necessarily have all the answers for this. Also full transparency. I do think that getting involved in governance, especially when you're building products, I'm building products in the near ecosystem. I'm a founder. I also work in the ecosystem at Banyan, like supporting developers and founders and DAOs. And it is a lot of mental bandwidth that is taken up and actual hours in your day to get involved in governance. And A players tend to want to work with A players. I say this all the time. And B players attract C players. And I've said this in the chat as well. And so I think, I think that there I said is... the same thing. And I was accused of calling people BNC players. I was accused of being offensive. Yeah, Look, they accused me of the same thing. But you know what I said? I'm like, nah, that's just something we say. That's just something we say. I'll be fair. Like, yeah, if you look at all my look, responses, it's I, comedy. Like I, the frustration is, why does it have to come down to Ilya appearing on chats for the same points to be heard? Why does it have to be Joe? To be honest, Joe proves your point. He said exactly the same as what I've been saying for months in different tones. His tone was very calm, was very eloquent, and his work precedes him. He doesn't come across as a commentator. He comes across as a builder, as a developer. Top-tier talent we cannot afford to lose. And if we only wait until those people speak, and they say exactly what you've been saying, but now people are listening, how does that make the rest feel? I feel like shit. I feel like there's nothing I can say that people will listen and I'm wasting my time. I may as well just go somewhere else. I'll wait for Joe and Ilya to manifest themselves. Nine months in, one million dollars lost, they'll come and fix it. There is no role for me. And if I'm saying that, imagine people that are like a smaller audience or platform than me, actual builders, like the Open Web Academy guys in Mexico, all the people building in Korea and Vietnam and Indonesia. They think this whole governance is a charade. Like, they don't really have a say. No one really gives a fuck about what they think. And hopefully, if they stick around, it's because Ilya will come in and save the day. And if not, they'll just leave like everyone else. Like, anyway, I don't want to be a downer, but yeah, this is a good segue, though. I don't, I don't um, rely on Ilya saving the day. It's, it's important to, to note that people do take his opinion very highly. It's also important to note that Joe himself, he doesn't, express these opinions at all about governance and how the ecosystem is in general. It's also important to note that, dude, he supported so much community, like Jared as well, like the folks at Shardog and Ready, Ready Layer One, they literally helped everybody in the ecosystem for free and shout out to them. Like they've helped me so much and I'm really appreciative of that. And I think the ecosystem knows that, yeah, they're builders, they don't normally talk about this stuff. and when they did, it was, it was definitely heard, but being heard is one thing and people acting on those actions and creating an effective solution is a another thing. And I would like to see 
and want to be a part of drafting those solutions. So here's the point I was trying to make a, a little bit earlier where I do think governance is, especially when you're building a product, which a lot of the aforesaid mentioned builders, you said they are, they're building products, they're building communities. Like it's really a way, I mentioned this in the Eco Rally table and Anilia was on this too. And like, we were trying to rally and I was trying to get you to run for the Transparency Commission too. I was trying to, I have my wish list. I was trying to, I was trying to get people to run and I still am. And, and I do understand it is Yeah, but Ilya in his message, Ilya in his message mentioned what I've been saying for months. I will run if the conditions are right. Ilya said it. He's spoken with a lot of people that he deems would be suitable for the role. They're not running for a reason. It's not apathy. It's not laziness. It's not a busy agenda. Is it the current setup? It's just not something that they want to be involved with. Happy that Ilya is aware. I'll run for the Transparency Commission. I was marketing DAO council member for a long time. I know how grueling the work can be. I definitely identify, sympathize, and I acknowledge all the work that you're doing now and congratulate you for stepping up into governance as well. But yeah, there has to be some changes there for more people to be willing to engage. We should finish up this past point about what you're talking about, Ilya, in, in terms of people running and in the eight back in players. And so I do think that when you're working on a product, and this was the thing that we mentioned in the Eagle Roundtable, like people, some people think that people scanning their face isn't enough requirement. We need to have more alignment with the overall token. It's hard to build a product and gain product market fit and spend five to 20 hours looking at proposals and doing administrative work when you're here to actually drive users on board. These are all fair points. And as a founder and someone building product, I resonate with this. As someone who spends time, like full time, supporting the ecosystem and having to deal with a bunch of every single pain point you have, I have to deal with that. And I've tried to address it in a certain way. If I get involved in the NDC, that's less time than I spend dealing with these issues already in my day to day. And I also think you fit in the persona where you spend more time than it takes to be a practitioner of the Transparency Commission, like than you do just like calling out BS in the ecosystem. And that's where I think you would be a good fit for this. And, but I don't think the incentives are necessarily there for OGs. And you mentioned people screenshotting my messages and stuff. If you see Blaze doesn't screenshot my messages, but if you see like the type of stuff I've been telling Blaze, like this whole time is he realizes the situation that we're in. I've been saying him for months. I've been saying in a strategy planning session with Marie, with all the stakeholders from the NF, it's look, I'm way more concerned than the actual governance. Pro we have an amazing tech group. We can build a governance system. I'm more concerned on whether we're getting OGs to get their SPTs and whether we can get those OGs to run that are highly qualified to build the biggest governance system that any layer one has done and whether the underlying DAOs and the constellations are experienced enough to execute and have a path toward decentralization and revenue so they're not dependent on NDC like people were dependent on near foundation. We need to have a system and a program to support these DAOs, and we need to have better incentive for getting these tier one OGs to run. And, and this is something I've been saying for a while. I told Blaze, his response was reasonable given the current sentiment of what we have. Like we know tier twos and tier three OGs are likely to run and tier one OGs are focused on building product. Like we know this, they told us this. And 
and given kind of the, there is also inherent biases of the people who are creating the governance system and pushing this really forward are the people that are dependent on the NDC and pushing the election back will actually have a drought in the ecosystem where a lot of the funding will pull up. To me, I'm a savage. I will let the streets drought and see who emerges. It's like, I don't care. To me, it's if you don't have more than two months runway where you can't operate and you're dependent on the NDC or the NF, then you're, you shouldn't be around here, to be honest. Like, that's how I look at it. Um, I agree. It's a bear market. It, yeah, it's a, it's, a bear, it's a bear market. It's like 90% of startups traditionally fail where in crypto, with these are austerity measures, you should be cutting back down now. And uh, everyone is like, everyone is cognizant of it. And to, at the end of the day, like, NDC is still looked at as an experiment. And I'm trying to change this notion of it being looked at as an experiment because, again, like I was saying in the beginning, like that means that people are okay with the outcome being a failure. I want to have the people be highly effective the first time around and us to set the culture of what we want the ecosystem moving forward because there's a lot of talk about the NDC. I consider Blazer friends, which is why some of his statements and actions recently I struggle to understand. I think he may have deployed a GPT agent on his behalf that has gone rogue or something. When they say that it is an experiment, there is an element of cynicism there. At least when they tell me that NDC is an experiment, when they remind me that NDC is an experiment, what they're really trying to tell me is, AVB, whatever, you have your views, you have your opinions. There is always a deliberate effort in cushing what I say as opinions. My subjective belief. Oh, okay, fair enough. It's just AVB. And then I'm told, but remember, the NDC is an experiment. You may be right and this can fail. So they try to give me a bit of the, a dog treat. We'll see. But in reality, they think that they're right. I don't think that in their minds have contemplated the real scenario of this failing. Because if they had, we would have been much more proactive in tackling some of these issues that they're surfacing now. So they say it is an experiment to acknowledge to people that sure, whatever, what you're saying may or may not be right. We'll find out in due time, but it hasn't been treated as a real experiment. It's a different categorization as the way that you're describing it. I agree with you. I think that we should acknowledge that we're trying things for the first time and there should be scope for reassessing and iteration and changing our minds, etc. But yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's ex exactly the sentiment I feel. I look at it as really a real thing. I'm putting my time and, and banning the deadly hitting my time towards the NDC uh, as like, we're not getting any checks from the NDC. We're doing it because we want to support the ecosystem. We look at this as a very real thing. We look at this as one of the first and, and a way to be a competitive ecosystem. If people, This is the biggest DAO experiment of all time. We want to get this right. We don't, like, although it is new and it's novel, this isn't an experiment. This is us creating something new and wanting to execute on it. And so I, I want to get this right. And I'm going to run. Like, Cameron's going to run. Like, we're going to run. And and we're going to be part of this experiment. But nah, we're not playing on that stuff. Like, we only want effective executors putting in proposals. We only want the best for the ecosystem because we work in the ecosystem and our incentives are aligned in our respect. So we're getting involved and we're trying to get the best players involved and trying to shift around this notion of experiment because we don't, we're not scientists. Like we're, we don't do experiments. We're Cameron 
is someone that I would follow. He's very authentic. He's very down to earth. He is, even as he's gone up the ranks, he's never lost that operational stride. He is with the people. Every time I see him, he is with students, with universities. He is in the trenches, pulling strings to get a partnership done, recruiting teams to build something that needs to be built. Cameron is someone that I consider as a real leader. He's not going to go on a stage and give a speech, maybe after a few drinks. He is inspiring to me and someone I would follow because of his actions. He's been doing that for a long time before a year. Like, we need that kind of leadership. One of the things that I hope we are able to course correct is by trying to embrace the umbrella of decentralization. Everyone tried to stay just shy of being a leader, even Ilya. Sure, we fly him around the world and we put him on stages. When he gave the same presentation on every stage, I've seen the same presentation at least now in three continents. He hasn't really been leading the community. You can reach out to him as a developer if you want to build shit. But, you know, it, I don't know. There's like something shy there. I think Alex Shevchenko has been better, like more public facing. People can rally behind his personality and his vision for Aurora. In a slightly ironic way, Aurora is much more of an Apple system. It's close to you get the final product and then you can run with it. Like in an ecosystem like Nier where it is so open-ended, Ilya is like a, I don't want to say an anarchist, but every time that somebody asks him a critical question, like, why don't we have this? Why don't we do that? His reply is always the same. Like, why don't you do it? There's nothing stopping anyone from taking action and building the product or the protocol or the community that they want. And I think we just need people that we can rally behind because I can tell you from the community side, people feel abandoned. We don't know if there's anyone in charge. Skidanov cashed out two years ago, maybe. And is there anyone left here that knows what they're doing? Foundation, influencer group, NDC, if there's anyone there still with critical thinking, good intentions. I know from backdoor conversations, that there are people that know what they're doing and that the new ecosystem is on a rocket ship waiting for launch. None of this shit is being conveyed to the ecosystem. Why are we spending all this time and all this money with the low-level NDC bullshit propaganda, we are the people and shit? That is not the real community sentiment. That's not where we are. Where is the messaging around getting developers? Where is the messaging around having KPIs? Where is the messaging that inspires people that are ambitious? And they want to be the best version of themselves, operational, excellent. Where is that message to attract them? Yeah, I, I feel like it. I feel like I'm in like a parent. When I come to Web3, the new ecosystem, I really felt like I'm in a whole alternate paradigm. Like I came from MPA, people from Ivy League schools, people from all over the world, literally wanting to work with me for free to build cool stuff. And then I come to Nier and everybody asks me for money for doing low-tier work. I don't play with that, okay? I don't, I literally don't play with that. And in terms of different DAOs, I have to set the culture that way. Well, when I'm running a ship, it's a different type of time for sure. And I don't like the kind of culture that, that we're beginning to form. And I know Cameron's the same type. If like we're getting involved and like, uh, we're not capping with this. We're about to go through the whole election process. We're going to let a bunch of NPCs vote for us. Are we going to go the whole camp? We only got two weeks left. It's pretty short turnaround, but we got to do it. If me and Cameron aren't running, who would for this community type vibes? So that's, I'm very, it, and it you took a lot. Vote. Yeah, Cameron had the same sentiment. And I'm like, dude, we got to do this. Like literally, if we're not part of this, 
whole bunch of BS. Like we've had to na- navigate every single stakeholder. It took a while to get Banyan collected spun out. It took a while to get Cameron out the near foundation. Um, it, it took so much. We've had to politics so much, but at the end of the day, like we're invested in the near ecosystem. We invested our time. We went all over the world and we slang near to everybody we knew, not the token. Gary Gensler, I know you're watching, not the token, but the technology and bringing those developer communities on board and bringing those founders. Like we put our names and reputation on the line for near. We don't play that stuff. Like we, royalty is loyalty, uh, our name over everything. Like we want to see near be the success. We don't do that failure. And so I, like that I'm saying, this is no experiment. This is a real deal. I'm very extreme with like, you might tell with like how I approach things. Like to me, it's, if I put my time into it, I put my life into it. And if I put my life by it, like I'm defending it. And so this near stuff, like near, near is the crew, near is the click, near is what I'm messing with, near is what got most of my energy nowadays. And I want to see the success of it. I am very anti for people who aren't effective. And I want to see other people step out here and not just cop out. Because near has this amazing way to sigh out, to be like, that person's DRI, that person's the DRI. Oh, he was a DRI. Okay, then no one took responsibility. And my bad, it's a cl- like, nah, that doesn't matter. I'm very with Ilya in that sentiment. It's like, in the normal startup game, no one's out of your hand holding you. There is no foundation. You're not expected to get a handout. And at the end of the day, like, we don't need leaders. To me, leadership is sus. To me, a, with a leader is the most sus thing you could do. I think that, like, I, I'm personally... I like Bitcoin it's because there is, no leader. there is no leader you can take out or kill. And can you hear me now? Yeah, you're back. All right. So in terms of blockchains, I am very skeptical of a leader. And these, this is the Wild West. This is the streets. We're leveraging near to build a lot of the technologies that we want to see to enable a better world and to build an open web. And I don't think it's Ilya's responsibility to be a leader. I think it's all of our responsibilities to leverage near and be leaders ourselves and use the tech to build what we want. So I don't, I don't think it's his responsibility. Yes, to be tech. There is a difference. There is a difference between being a leader as a person and leadership as a verb. Leadership is you inspiring people to join your course. You put a vision of the world out there and people subscribe to it. It's that simple. See, Ilya's vision is brilliant. Sadly, it was summarized into a slogan, which, by the way, I was the only one that was able to recite it at the near hacker house in Denver. A world where people are in control of their assets, bullshit, and governance. It took, what's the name? It took Elena. She's Russian. She's a little bit savage on the inside. She's full savage. I love her. It took her digging deeper. Ilya, what does it mean? Like, when I tell people I'm near, no one knows what we stand for. Like, why bother? And then he opens up. Then he goes to the real layer. Then you see what drives him, what gets him out of bed in the morning. He's like, oh, the world is fucked. Everything is owned by a handful of companies, the way that we're going with data ownership and AI. He's got a vision of the world that is very raw. Many people live in Narnia and in Utopia, etc. He's coming from a country at war. He's seen how Google works on the inside. There needs to be a vision there that I can say, you know what? That's the world that I want to see. Think of Satoshi. He hasn't been around for 13 years, but there is leadership in that Bitcoin ethos. There's a very clear value proposition there, what we stand for. If you join this movement, this is where we're going. That is a sense of belonging that makes Web3 possible. It doesn't matter 
whether you're a shitcoin influencer or a protocol developer, we all need to feel like we're rowing in the same direction. Because at the moment, honestly, it's not clear. Do we have developers? Do we have products? No one knows. And there's people here leeching the community treasury and pushing for UBI and some crazy shit. Like, we need to have a sense of identity. And that sense of identity either comes from the top down. And as you say, we have to be savage. Fucking cut funding for six months and see who's still here. If it's not coming from the top down and as close as the top as you can get, doesn't have to be Ilya. I'll follow Cameron. I'll follow many people. But if it's not coming from the top down, the culture is being bred from the people getting paid from the community treasury. And that's where the sentiment from the Joe tweet, and that's where the podcast I released yesterday comes from. The people that have been here for the longest, the people that are true to the mission, the people that are building in a very idealistic long-term way are getting sidelined. Zero support, zero recognition, and increasingly a minority within a chain that has lost its purpose. Proof of admin is what they call us now. We have to change that. Sir Plug, a couple of questions. Hypothetically, if you had to explain near in simple terms to someone who is trying to understand where it falls in the landscape of Web3, like what can you build in near that you cannot build in Solana or Sui or how do they complement each other? Assuming that we're trying to move past that tribal era and to really be able to pay its dues to every ecosystem and ideally encourage people to come and contribute to the near ecosystem it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive how would you sell it like you are in the trenches building every day like how would you sell it to other developers or other builders someone with an idea firstly it's fast and it's cheap and so in terms of the development process that is really not a barrier and then in terms of the usability it's very similar to web 2 where you're giving your username and you can change your password. That's your private keys. You can rotate your keys. And then, and that, that's to me what I like there. And because you have a username and every account is a smart contract, you can essentially have named contracts. So once you go to interacting with contracts, you know by name and heart, and you have this naming convention where you have sub-accounts, to, to me, that is like very similar to Riverside.fm and Alejandro.riverside.fm. It's just too familiar to what we're already used to. And it's just way less more chewing glass than working with Move or working with Solana. It's pretty easy to develop. And when I talk about BOSS, the blockchain operating system, I don't call it an operating system. I call it a product that we're shipping on near where you put your JavaScript code on chain. And it can interact with different chains. And that's how I express it. And we have different client applications that can interface with all this code that anyone can spin up very easily. And unlike the decentralized front ends that you might put on IPFS, where you put up your whole repository, this is a more composable type of development where you can essentially make individual components and reference components owned by different people to develop custom experiences in a streamlined way. And so this allows us to rapidly prototype, fork each other's components, interact with different chains, and create different client experiences that people aren't used to. So to me, it's more about kind of the account abstraction, the account model part of things, the ease of development, and then now pushing 
the composable way of developing decentralized front ends. I don't really go too much into like consensus and all the nitty gritty level things because as an application developer, I think that isn't necessarily the best way to bring people in. I agree. I think that this is like the third recording and if we put them all together, we're probably over two hours. So we may do what I usually call a rapid fire round, which is not really rapid fire usually, but how, what are people's common reactions from other ecosystems when you tell them about the user experience on Nier and what is possible in terms of user experience on Nier? Like where are they at? Is it something that they care about? I don't really talk much. I just get them an account and Blunt.Dow is traditionally a good onboarding process. They like literally, if you can get a wallet and you can get an NFC and you can get enrolled in the DAO in one process, after a blunt, it's a pretty smooth experience. And that's been our motto yeah. there. And in terms of- Is that the experience on Nier or on Solana? Solana is different. Solana, we got to get your address. We got to, it's a little experience. We use Cupcake, shout out to the, shout out to B&J, but that's more of a custodial process. Cause we're like literally, okay, yeah. And if you forget your private key, if you want to change your private key, you can change it later type vibes. But no, nah, on, on Solana is a little bit more difficult because their account model is different and they use things like magic link on the cupcake yeah. side because some of the things that i've often tried to reconcile and there's an added element here that is challenging that a lot of the things coming down the pipeline are not quite explicit or they haven't been fleshed out yet but i often try to reconcile something like say you go to solana projects and you're like hey you've got a hardcore team you've got a great product you've got traction have you considered expanding to other blockchains, say near, so that you can add elements of a better user experience? So that would be a soft pitch, so to speak, where the user experience on near could be the selling point. Before you comment on that, I would also want to add that I know that we're working on what's it called? Implicit accounts. So that technically you will be able to use an application on near with a Solana wallet. So it, it, yeah, remote, remote accounts. accounts. That's something you gotta have Ilion to speak on because it's been in the backlog for a while. I don't wanna, I don't wanna speak too much on on remote accounts. But the idea for a remote account is you can use any other external non near account to sign a transaction on on near. I need to see more documentation on it, but the idea is is that. But I'm not the best person to speak on that. And I don't know when that's going to come into, like when that's going to come live. And I don't like speaking on Pagoda timelines. No, fair enough. Look, I've been trying to try really in the podcast since 30 episodes ago, which is like a year. So we'll keep pushing the, so if you put remote account aside, do you think that the user experience sell point in general would be a good one to go to people in other ecosystems and try to. Not just get them to the pro deploy the front ends on near, but also to start thinking about how they could make it easier for users, even if it's just like onboarding and then something else happens on chain or is it something you've given much thought? You got to, it, it depends what their product is. So if they are looking for a non-custodial way to easily onboard users, that is an approach. But a lot of people who are in these ecosystems are in these ecosystems also because they have a bigger market and more liquidity. And when they expand to other ecosystems, that's pri primarily what they're doing to leverage these existing communities. And if they're not doing that, they're just building a product and using blockchain under the hood to facilitate this. And they've already built this in their native chain. I think adding an additional chain when they're not directly 
targeting crypto native users is a, an added technical complexity. And it would, it would really depend on the project. Wondering if we've pushed the user experience narrative enough. Because I know that that's how I came into Nier. I basically only care about user experience. Without it, I don't think we can ever scale. But I'm not sure if it's something that we've pushed out. You mentioned account abstraction before and how we haven't really been able to capitalize on that trend, even though other blockchains came in much more later and they've been getting much more attention from that. Yeah, I think the transactions and KeyPop are really going to one a lot of these use cases are put out into the wild, really showcase what Nier can do. That's something I want to heavily push into the ecosystem. That's part of my campaign is pushing a lot of that. I'm also going to be deeply involved in the Keypom ecosystem and pushing a lot of that in the startup side as well. I love what Mintbase is doing with metatransactions. Shout out to Louis in terms of abstracting that from the user. And yeah, a lot of these use cases are being built out. You saw my thread on Twitter, like about all of the different use cases possible on Keypalm. Like none of those are even built out yet. And I would love to see those built out. And yeah, I think it would really change the name of the game. But I don't like, I don't like talking in theory and, oh, this is on the roadmap or this. I like showing people what is available. And that's why I do love Boss, but I think there is an overemphasis on front ends when us on the protocol level, especially with account extensions coming out, there is a lot of potential to showcase near for what it should be, which is a competitive L1 protocol. And yeah, I really, I really think the account model is, is the biggest. So do a lot of these companies with users care about that and are crypto native and I wouldn't say so. So acknowledging the importance of having a vibrant community, not just of developers, but a place that is appealing and attractive and welcoming to new projects, whether new builders or multi-chain, do you have any views on building local communities? Building local communities is diff is like it's hard, to be honest. It's, it's a lot of grassroots work. It's a lot of leading on existing players, existing boot camps, existing universities, existing organizers, existing products and project founders that happen to already be there. I feel like our current model is very dependent on a bunch of meetups. But I, in terms of what I look at as a measure of success is the amount of products in that particular region. Because at the end of the day, without funding as a regional community and to do this operational work, it's those project founders that want to see their ecosystem grow in that region. I am really proud of what Near Toronto is doing that has a lot of root in the Tenement team and other project founders in that area. And I think they're one of the, one of the groups to watch in terms of what it looks like when project founders release toward a regional community. And so, yeah, I'm very, uh, I'm very supportive of them on that front. But yeah, there's a lot, that's the whole conversation on the Banyan front. We've experimented with a lot of communities in different places. That's been one of the suggestions of passing to the RC DAO that we should take stock. Where are the top contributors of Nier located like around the world? 
and try to empower them to start that presence of Nier in the ecosystem. I've definitely felt the difference of Nier in Australia since I got back. Do you think, to a two-part question, first, could funding from, say, a vertical from the NDC be used by these founders as a way to bootstrap their startup? So say, we can give you some money for keeping the community in your city alive, and then that money can go towards funding the startup operations. I guess the other way to do it, the second question would be, should funding or grants to the startups have a clause or a contingency or a requirement where they also need to be public facing and repping near wherever they may be in the world? This is how I like doing just grants and structuring milestones. I like to have it be based on charges with clear accepted criteria in terms of a product to deliver, whether it's like wireframes, whether it's technical specs, whether it is the actual delivery of a product. And then also as part of this, to have a product launch and marketing affiliated with this. I'm not sure if that's the best route to the best route to a bundle up community based like regional hubs with particular product like grants. I think that like I was saying before that the health of a community is dependent on the products of that region. And I think the NDC should be more focused on helping and supporting those products. But I think that one of the KPIs for regional communities, rather than a number of humans onboarded or people engaged or sustained products. And so I think this is more of a, not a burden of what the product founders should do, but more of a reassessment of what a measure of success for a regional community is and how they should operate on. And I do not think that having us be a bottoms up funnel to acquire users for a bunch of products in the ecosystem is as good of a strategy as building products that acquire their own users because they have product market fit. Amazing. You nailed it. I'm very much aligned with you on that one. Sir, I want to shift gears slightly towards public goods and refi. Could you give us a really quick overview of what public goods are in the Web3 context and the work that you're doing in public goods? You can share some alpha of any upcoming product releases or ways for people to get involved. Yeah, what public goods are, I don't look at it as a Web3 context. I look at it as public goods are things that are goods for the public, yo. There are things that people use every day <laughs> for the use, explanation for the use. There are things from the roads that we use to the open source software. Bring out the blunts. Yeah, that's how we, that's how we get them. But yeah, blunts are also a public good in terms of the context of how BluntDAO distributes them. And yeah, public goods are literally things that people use every day that is a good for the public. I know you shouldn't be using the term in the definition, but we just did. So what? And how I look at it as a blockchain as an enabler of public goods is it allows new funding mechanism and outcome-based assessment around those public goods. So I don't limit public goods funding on on Web3 funding platforms as just Web3 products. I look at it as being able to facilitate the government, being able to facilitate nonprofits. I think the biggest challenges within the near ecosystem is we don't have, we don't even have a quadratic funding contract. 
And I think combined with this and the power of Boss to build these front ends, we could enable a lot of interesting use cases that are already seen in the Ethereum ecosystem, which something like Optimism is honestly way more costly than Near would be for the same type of use cases. So looking to bring that into fruition, but then also looking to have a more clearer framework for outcome-based assessment and accessing higher levels of funding are issues we're looking to tackle. Good question. Is there a reason why we don't have a quadratic funding contract on Near? Is this something that could or should have been under the GWG scope for governance? Help me put this in context. Yeah, there also, there's quadratic voting, which is how your vote weighs in terms of candidates. And there's quadratic funding, which commonly, which commonly denotes a matching where different stakeholders put up money for a vertical. Gitcoin is one of the most popular quadratic funding platforms. Shout out to Gitcoin, grants round 18. Make sure to vote. Yeah, love, love all my regions over there. And, and shout out to Metapool, dude. They're funding LATAM with all of their ETH rewards as well. So shout out to Metapool. And so there are a few avenues of so the quadratic. And, and shout out to Metapool for also being one of the examples of a strong founding team in the region and the epic growth of the community there. Yeah, like I, I have immense respect for Metapool, Claudio Lucio, and also you the Metapool representative for the longest time too. So shout out to you for really being, being part of a strong team and, and pushing the ecosystem forward and carrying a lot of these crypto streets on your back. But in terms of like, I left off on like quadratic funding, there's like a matching pool and there's more individual contributions get more weight in the matching pool. So individual contributors can't just take over and it really emphasizes bringing more uniquely human individuals on board to amplify a funding match. And this is what Gitcoin does well, the way they have their civil resistance is with Gitcoin Passport, where they take different on-chain and Web2 queues to develop a score. And we have I Am Human as our civil resistance that has been coming about. But the reason why... It's a work in progress. I'm so against face scans. You see me right now, Jordan right? Curtis. You know I'm anti. Go to NoKYC. I know. I cannot see you for a reason. Yeah. You go to NoKYCDAO.com. Um, do your research. You'll see how I feel about KYC. The reason I ask is because there are so many things that I see on near, especially a lot of conversations and telegrams and roundabout arguments. And then I look at other ecosystems and I was like, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are things in other ecosystems that exist and work well, or at least can inform a lot of what we do. I personally really like the Gitcoin model and I've been giving it a lot of thought around how can we get something similar? I'm thinking of creating a Patreon for the podcast because who knows, marketing DAO may also tell me to get fucked. And it'd be really nice if we had a quadratic funding model where, you know, for every 10 bucks that I, that a user puts in to support the podcast, I get whatever, a multiple. And uh, yeah, it comes down to that reputation and trying to get validation from the community and with people from good standing in the community. And I don't know, I'm sure that smart people are thinking about this. Yeah. These are conversations we like, these are conversations we've been having with Gitcoin for the longest time. And it's just hard. Like they're focused on the Allo stack and it'll take a little bit for them to integrate other L1s. So these are conversations like we've had, these are things like Cameron's been trying to put forward. I know even like they've been even talking to DevHub, they've like this, these are conversations we're having, we're pushing. We love the work Gitcoin is doing. 
there are some trade-offs with what they're doing that we're also looking to address. One of the things that we want to look to address is like when you get a Gitcoin amount, like you, so traditionally I'm in the same pool, no matter what level I am in, if I'm in that vertical, if we're on decentralized science, if I'm a new startup project versus an already established project, it's the same funding pool. And so one of the things we're trying to address is how do we essentially use outcome-based assessment of impact to have different levels, like normally would be venture capital, where you have seed, series A, series B, but for public goods funding. And then how do we better assess this impact-based outcomes? And then building it on a boss stack where you can fork this to make like a quadratic Leinster and you can make a Patreon with the quadratic contract and use the components and leverage it that way. It's really hard to address really the outcome-based impact assessment. Another issue that we've really faced is how as bigger stakeholders, like, like a proximity, they rely on certain open source projects, but if they're a bigger stakeholder right now, the big stakeholders on Gitcoin, they just do the matching rounds and they put down for the matching rounds for that specific vertical. But if they want to put down for a particular project within that vertical, they have no incentive for putting down more money because the individual contributors always get matched more. So how do we take those stakeholders into account? And then how do we build it with people that are inherently diverse? That way there aren't these kind of biases. And yeah, I would love to, once, once we develop the contracts, the intention is to give it to Gitcoin because they don't have Rust devs. That's one of the things in these talks, like they needed a Rust dev for this. I would love to give this to Gitcoin, give this to Git, give it, give this to RetroPGA. These are all conversations we've been having. We've been on a regen roll tour. Shout out to my twin Russ at NDC community, Proof of Vibes. Yeah, we've been on a regen world tour, politicking with all, all the regen people. And these are all conversations. And so, yeah, I think it's a matter of building, getting the smart contracts, getting it audited, building front-end frameworks and gi giving it to these stakeholders. I'm for anyone who's supporting public goods. Again, like I love the work that they're all doing. I don't look at it as a competition. It's what I love about the regen space. Everyone is very supportive of each other. Everyone is looking to make an impact. We're all studying from what each other does. And yeah, like I'm 100% pro alleviating the engineering workload from all these other projects as well. Sir Plug, that was the best definition that I've heard of a public good in a very indirect way. And that was what I was going to mention at some point in the specific context of Web3. It is... To me, those pieces or those components that everyone uses and everyone can benefit from, but there's no one that pays for it directly. And basically there's a need to find a way to pay people to do that work, even though it is later open sourced or it is later made available to everyone. The work that you guys are doing for Gitcoin to enable Gitcoin to do more public goods would itself be a public good, which I love. I'd love to participate in these conversations. It's something that I'm very passionate about, especially this is where I think that the conversation gets interesting. To me, UBI, it's lazy. It's, hey, there's money there. Let's just all take it. If everyone's taking money, no one's complaining. But where it gets exciting is how can we use a new tech stack that we have available to improve on the models that we've had before? That shift from Gitcoin, everyone's in the same round, to having multiple pools where projects can be differentiated depending on which stage you're at makes total sense to me. I'm actually curious, are there any technical challenges or shortcomings why that hasn't been done before? 
there's funding shortcomings. And I think Gitcoin is doing an excellent job of, of rallying the existing stakeholders. There is first, it's hard to streamline outcome-based assessment or, or what it means to, to have impact. The traditional venture model of uh, assessing a team relies on evaluating or if, uh, assessing a project relies on evaluating a team, the traction, the market size, like just general stuff you put on a pitch deck. And even now to automate that process is just happening with like tools like AI, but to evaluate impact and how it is actually inherently good, especially across a bunch of different sectors that aren't just carbon credits and maybe qualitative is an extremely difficult process. There are people tackling it like hypersearch and yeah, there, there's like govern and things of that nature that we're studying from. A lot of this isn't even like the nitty gritty technical implementation. It's like how we're designing this as a system and we're having to go back to the drawing table and do research before we just implement because yeah, it's a very difficult ta problem to tackle and it there is a potential you design a system with a bunch of inherent biases. So we're very cognizant of that. And there is an element of people that, that, that enter this, that need to review rounds and that need to evaluate the, these impacts too. And yeah, that's also been a, a challenge that we're facing. So yeah. So have you read the, I think there's a coin desk article that Elia wrote around merging or the the synergy between web3 and ai web3 being really good at transparency holding funds enabling for large groups of people to make decisions and coordinate activity and then ai being very good at processing large amounts of data and the way that he puts it ai could be a very useful tool to provide the humans with the information or the ability to process the information. And he talks about using this AI to set KPIs, assess KPIs. There's just like a very interesting uh, synergy. They could complement each other in very interesting ways. I've only seen him mention this in podcasts and in that article. I haven't seen any mention of it yet for any governance body, such as the NDC. But I'm really curious on how that line of thought may apply for something like Gitcoin. You saw the NDC chatbot. AI is hard to give good, accurate summaries. If you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. I think it has a lot of potential for tools. The AI work group within the NDC, that this is one of the issues that they were looking to tackle is how do we use AI to automate a lot of these governance processes? This is also a comment Ilya made yesterday when... Yeah, but where the NDC keeps fucking up is that everything is self-serving. Sure. The chatbot, it's a work in progress. I personally like the chat GPT interface where you can prompt questions of existing documents. My understanding or personally where I see the most value would be on using these AI tools in an outwards facing way. If you are the NDC, you could ask it like, hey, it's January 2024 and we want near ecosystem to grow to these many users. Give us a scope and roadmap and recommendations for inter-region, inter-vertical, inter-partnership. Use this tool to help us ask questions like, hey, you and I want to enter into a partnership to fund a global blunt coalition or something. Let's not have two humans that it may be the first time for them that they do it, but we can actually use these tools to make sure that whenever things are put into action, we 
increase the chances of having the right goals, the right set of structures. Maybe it can help us identify if there's any weak spots. It can direct our thinking to things that we may not have thought before, especially when we're looking at funding such large budget items. As you said, this isn't the place to call it an experiment and be willing to write off a large amount of money and a large amount of time. That's where I see it. Yeah, this is, okay, so we started an AI builder group. Like we got these builder groups, DevCentric, and then there's the AI work group. And the founder of that was like, why don't we merge the two? And I'm like, because we're focused on leveraging AI to build products that, and you guys are focused on just NDC and building around governance tools. So I had a conversation about broadening that scope and how to make it more sustainable. And that's why I think we need to have a, a better coaching of like work groups, like a YC combinator, but like a work group combinator for kind of stating like what the focus should be. And this shouldn't be tailored around the NDC. So it, it's, it just serves them. They're not the only client and it's such a small pie of the potential market. But I do think that this is a, this is definitely a potential tool. There are rooms for hallucination where I don't want to, there is, it's definitely a tool like Everyone, I think, should take a prompt engineering course. Everyone should learn how to use AI tools and incorporate them into their workflows. And we should definitely do this on Near, where it started as Near.ai and like platforms like Near Crowd are being rebranded to Near Task. And we're going to see more of this data labeling and more of the gigs economy emerge. I, I think there is huge potential for that. I think there is huge potential to label outcome for governance proposals into a near task like system and adjust the quality that way and incentivize more eyes on it. How do I see it integrated into the MVP of what we're building? I don't see it directly there. And yeah, I see, but I am considering it now. If I show you the content guidelines for the marketing DAO, content that is authentic, content that inspires people's curiosity. It portrays near in a positive light where they want to learn more. If it's the first time that they look at it, do they feel like it's a scam or a low quality project that they ignore? Or do they feel like it's something that they should probably take seriously? Even if they're not involved, they hold in higher regard. All those things are recent since October 2022. The charter includes a bunch of guidelines and criteria as well, even for the way that the DAO itself is run. I think that if you were to give this criteria, to an AI, and then you were to run my content, anyone's content, or even like different DAO members' work, performance, whatever, the DAO, I'm assuming that the AI, depending on how you set it up, should be able to give you interesting insights, feedback, commentary. They should help complement the human. And I think that where I see the biggest value at is forcing humans to get out of their bullshit bubble just because they're the decision maker shouldn't mean that they can suspend disbelief. If there's going to be interpersonal politics where a human is always stepping over the other one and whatever, let it be a machine. But we need to have a way to, yes, make sure that the guidelines that we set are being followed and be able to tell maybe the wrong guidelines and we get to reassess. But I'm long-term bullish. I think I've dealt with humans for long enough to realize that there's just a lot of inefficiencies that come when People have different levels of knowledge. They just come at things from different points of view. It's actually very rarely like ill intent. People are often just trying their best. But coordination is so hard 
and so expensive. And it's just harder in a decentralized world. So it'd be very interesting if we could have an interface where we can all dump what we think in high level of detail. I'm not worried at all that this podcast is three hours because I know that the LLMs are going to be indexing everything and people can write summaries and whatever. So I think that's the, the potential middle layer that may help us get some of these things done. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a product in itself to be able to take, especially when you're looking at outcome-based assessment, there's the challenge of impact, which is qualitative data. And AI has a lot of potential like now to misinterpret that. And then there's the idea of plugging in external data sources. That in itself is a complex product. That's why when like rolling out MVPs of applications, I don't see that being directly there. I would love for another player to come on in, which is able to do AI-assisted outcome-based assessment that plugs into a lot of these key metrics. And I think that, that probably won't even emerge from a player in the Web3 space. Like whoever just builds a product that can streamline a lot of these workflows and do this assessment, I'm very eager to use. But yeah, I probably, I'm probably not going to build that. Lucky for us, we do have some people in the ecosystem that are quite, quite fluent in AI. <laughs> this is one way to put it. And yeah. Once again, like when you understand what motivates some of the people in the ecosystem, you shared some of your story around uh, privacy. I've shared my story around growing up in Venezuela for a long time. There's people that have almost like a mission to improve the way some governments work and some inefficiencies. Like I know of people that are lodging thousands of pages of declaring crypto tax transactions and stuff. Because the way that the tax model in their country is just broken. And they're like, look, it's broken. And I'm going to prove to you that it's broken. I'm going to give you tens of thousands of pages of transactions. Like they've got bots on purpose, just lodging as many taxable events as possible. So there's different ways of going about things. But yeah, look, we've got the brains, we've got the technology. So plug, we're almost at three hours and I do have to go in a few minutes. It's been a pleasure. I really want to get more visibility to developers such as yourself. I've learned a ton and I'm coming out with a much more positive outlook for the ecosystem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I started with a, a migrate. I feel like talking to you cured it. So thank you. That's the end of another episode. As always, I just want to thank you for listening because let's be honest, you are amazing. And I also want to remind everyone that everything contained on this episode is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast shall be construed as financial, medical, or any other type of advice. And you should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial decisions. Make sure that you like and subscribe so that you stay up to date with the latest episode. We've got a steamy hot pipeline of guests that will keep you entertained right through the bear market. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you soon. Bye.